made them popular in the first place. It doesn't make sense. It's like it's like the legacy of Disney. It's just when 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 you get a a department of inclusivity. No, uh, what is it? Yeah, this is a die, right? The, the diversity, diversity, equity, and inclusion. inclusion. Right, yeah. right, right. When you get uh, that's what happens. You die. Your organization dies. <laughs> oh, <D-I-E>, right? <laughs> diversity see. and inclusion and equity. If you yeah. get that department, that's what happens to you because. You get you get something now controlling the entire apparatus who is not interested in self preservation, yeah. who's not interested in making a profit. They're interested in making sure that everyone stays under their thumb. And and so you get a whole department dedicated to something that's outside of the interests of a company. Hmm. Of course you're not gonna care about profit profit. Who cares about profit anymore? But, but it's just the mere it's the hatred of their entire foundation. Like you can have like the new Snow White that's coming out is that Rachel Zegler, like she hates the original movie. Mm-hmm. Like that's on like 10, 15 years ago. That would be unheard of for the main actress of your Disney remake right. to say that. Like, yes. no, like oh, that's, yeah. that's, that's the foundation of our entire company without yes. Snow White. We have yes. no company, right. but because of this new ideal and they're Disney's like scrambling. They're like, nothing we're doing is working, but it doesn't matter if they fire everyone because everyone they would hire would have the same ideology. Mm-hmm. So it's like they can't fix themselves. They can't. Yeah, it's true. Can't really turn around. That's right. And 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 you know, if thinking about what she, what she did there, you, well, yeah, you have to hate this because it was mm-hmm. made back in the '40s when everyone was a racist. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, you, you can't like it. It was you know it was probably written down by the Grimm brothers who were probably also racist too. <laughs> yeah. So you know, just just the whole thing. You know, they're all all aspects. Are at odds with each other, and that's why we can't have anything nice anymore. What would you say? Uh, let me ask you this question: When you think of Snow White, uh, aside from the dwarves, what's the most iconic moment of the story? Um, the apple to um, g- giving the apple to Snow White. Right, right. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. I should have, I should have, I should have included that one. Aside from that one, so there's three major things in Snow White that okay. you probably remember. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's the apple, there's the dwarves, and then there's yes. uh, the the kiss, the yeah, kiss, yeah, yeah, right? right? That right. wakes her up. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that's more iconic than the apple. That, probably, yeah. it's not in the movie because a man can't save a woman. That's so, right. Yeah. So they said like right. that she's not going to be saved by the prince. She, mm-hmm. in fact, she's not even white in the movie. So the fairest of them all doesn't even mean what it originally means. It means fair means meaning justice. Like, <laughs> I'm serious. I'm not making this up. Like what? This, this, this is real. Like this is what they said in interviews. They're like she's not going to be saved by the prince, and she's and they make fun of the original so much. They're like. They're like, she's not oh going to be, uh, and uh, the prince was a stalker. She calls the prince a stalker in the original film. And uh, she's like, fairest of them all, meaning that she cares about justice and fairness. And she wants to the be, fa- she wants to be oh, a great ruler no. like her father. Yeah. They oh, no. hate the original. Like, oh, my word. No. <laughs> well, she can't be the, because Rachel Zegler is like a Latino, I think. So she can't, they can't actually make it mean what the story means. Oh my goodness! Like, so they have to change it in order for they someone. They actually of... said "fairest of the ball" now means the most just of them. Yes. Oh my yes. word! <laughs> like, <laughs> dude, those interviews are so hard to watch. Like, it's like really sad. The 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 script just writes itself, man. Yeah. The the script writes itself. That is that is unbelievable. Daily Wire is coming out with their own Snow White. Yeah. And like they came out with a teaser that's like ten seconds, and already just that teaser alone. Is already better than whatever yeah, the mo- yes, movie is right, going right. to make. Some, something that's at least going to be faithful yeah. to, the, to the original. I'm not going to say it's going to be a masterpiece, but I, I appreciate at least... I I know you and I have been talking about this a lot about building, and it's unfortunate that... I'm, I'm not saying... I'm not against Daily Wire. I'm glad that they're making conservative content. I just kind of wish there were more Christian studios and organizations that yeah. kind of were taking, taking that same stance of, like, we can make good stuff because right now we have an entire market of people 
that are so sick of the diversity, equity, inclusion content mm-hmm. that we could, Christians could literally just kind of take that over. Like, yeah. I, I think it would be amazing. But if, if, if we could find, uh, well, first off, I, w- I want to say something real quick about, you know, uh, we're, we're recording. Welcome everybody to oh my gosh. Low Hanging Fruit. <laughs> Welcome everybody to Low Hanging Fruit. This is uh, Luke and Tyrus, and uh, we're here to look at some of the horrible theological uh, videos that we find on the internet. Uh, we're going to start. Uh, well, we're going to start off with the discussion about this. But secondly, we're going to we're going to continue on with the tweet, which we're going to get to in a couple minutes. But first, I want to address two things. On the other podcast that I do, called The Brotherhood of the Silver Screen, uh, we we're talking about Mario, and um, at the end, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, the the Super Mario Super Mario movie or Super Mario uh, Super Brothers Mario movie? Brothers movie. Okay, Super Mario Brothers movie. Okay, we're talking about that. And at the end, uh, someone uh, one of the um, members of the uh, of the podcast said, um, well, you know, Mario does get victory, but he doesn't save Peach. Like, hmm. she kind of saves herself, right? And uh, I said that um, I, I don't think we'll ever see that again. I think that's Prob- gone. I think not. that's gone forever. Not by a major, a major, um, a, a, a major studio is hmm. never, ever going, the, way, the direction we're headed, is never, ever going to put a woman... As one of the climactic scenes, um, I mean, if it's if we're talking fantasy, they're never going to have a damsel in distress mm. be saved by the prince. It's we're never going to see that trope again, ever. I don't think we're ever going to see that again. You just said that. Well, you know, in this new <laughs> latest iteration, they're not going to have her be saved. Yeah. And and uh, 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 yeah, yeah, we'll never see that again. You have Put to change the, the fairy tale. Like, you have to change it entirely yeah. like, in right. order for it to happen. That's, I mean, I think that was the first one to go, honestly. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think they cared about the race as much. They were like, okay, we're making this. What's the first thing? I think I don't, I don't think, you know, you know, you know, if you and I were to get together and, and get into a room and, and we were to, like, go over a script and be like, hey, how are we going to do this scene? Because this scene is so important. We want to be faithful. You right. Know? You know, we probably can't put everything in, so we have to be creative somewhere. But, like how are we going to do this and be faithful to the original story because we love the story mm-hmm. and we want to, you know, take it and put it onto a screen for other people to enjoy and love it as much as we do. That's what people who love stories, that's what they do. Yeah. <laughs> but Disney doesn't do that. They Not grab anymore. something like, how can we get rid of this? How can we get rid of this whole thing? How can we rewrite history? How can we just erase everything? I think that's the conversations they have. They don't, no one's going, well, we got to be faithful. No. They're, they're, they're going, well, how can we How can we destroy this? I mean, what, what's the first thing? That, okay, I want to know the first thing that's got to go. And I think they're like, well, we can't make her white. Okay, Snow White can't make <laughs> Snow her white. White can't yeah, she, white. Snow White can't be white. Rule number one. Number two, she can't be saved. Uh, you know, uh, uh, number three, we can't have dwarves be dwarves. Yeah. You know, that, oh yeah, that, you saw that, yeah, right? I saw oh, that. Yeah, yes. There's and, like one actual dwarf, I think. And, and I, I feel so bad because, man, as an actor, man, I love Peter Dinklage. I think that he, he, I mean, almost single-handedly. I'm not. I mean, I'm sure people can argue with me on this, but he almost single-handedly, um, you know, he did things that I want to see Hollywood do. Like, he would just star in movies, and it wasn't like this big thing. Oh, a dwarf. He would yeah. just be, like, there he is. I didn't it's even just, really notice it anymore. He's just a dwarf. Right, exactly. And, and and there he is. It wasn't a big plot device that he's a dwarf, and suddenly his insight is different. He's just a dwarf. And that's what I, I talked about in the other podcast, too, in movies. Um, uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Die Hard mm. 3, right? Die Hard 3. Samuel Grant, Jackson. Yeah, Samuel Jackson. Love that film. <laughs> <laughs> he, he says he's Zeus. Right? Yeah, yes, yes, yeah, so. Zeus. <laughs> hey, Zeus. <laughs> anyway, um... Uh, uh, um, uh, a couple things. Um, Graham Greene, 
is in that film. And if you know Grant, who Graham Greene is, he's the he's the token Indian in like all of the '90s and early 2000s films. Graham Greene is in Dances with Wolves. Uh, great uh, movie. Grant, Grant, yeah, Graham Greene is in uh, Maverick. I don't know if you ever saw Maverick. I never with, saw Maverick with Mel Gibson. Um, but he, but he was in. Uh, uh, I think it was called. Uh, was it called Wind River? With uh, um, uh, John Bernthal and uh, uh, who's the guy from uh, Hurt Locker? What's his name? Um, uh, what is his name? Oh, the, uh, Jeremy Renner. Jeremy Renner. Yes, he, he's in that too. Um, but Graham Greene's also in these. Also, you know, plays an Indian. But in Die Hard with Vengeance, he was just a detective, and there was no this. this there was no grand meta meta narrative on him being an Indian. Hmm. It was just he was a detective. And he was a great actor. And I was like, this is so refreshing to see this guy just be in a normal role where, like, his ethnicity is not a plot device. Mm. And that's how I like Peter Dinklage so much because he would star yeah. in films where his his stature was not a plot. It was just okay. And and that's what the, that that reflects reality that we that we inhabit. When I yes. when we see short people, when we see people of different ethnicities, it's not this big like suddenly I have to change this, the narrative of my story. Oh no, <laughs> you know, wow, this is something to be noticed. No, it's just these are normal people that we yeah. that we interact with, and I love it when. They do that in films. Yeah, I, I really do. It's interesting. You brought up the Mario movie. Is that I don't. I think it's a uniquely American problem because you know I'm not. I'm not saying that the culture of the East is is uh, better because they have the pagan influence there. But they, when Mario was first being developed, they P Princess Peach was much worse. Like she oh, was a girl boss, yes. more of a girl boss than yes. she was in the movie. Right, right. And the Nintendo developers were like, "No, like you yeah. need to tone that Mario's the hero." Like yeah. they had to remind them. <laughs> they had to remind them. Yes. No, Mario's the hero. You're right. making too many. You're making right. him look too bad. Like right. and, and and Peach, like they really scaled it back. Mm -hmm. But and she kind of gets saved, but like kind of indirectly. If you notice, like. If I think if you remember the film, she's being held by two Koopa troopers. Okay. And uh, she's the one that she just, they're holding her, but I guess they were barely holding her because she just shoves them off and she okay. kicks the star to Mario and then he gets the power star okay. and wins. But right. like you said, that's the closest we're going to get to yes. him saving her. Right. And it's spilling over into how it's being marketed. I, I, I know this is random, but Princess Peach is getting a new video game. Now, that's not new. Princess Peach has been a playable character in Mario games since Mario 2. But... Even the marketing for the case of the box in Japan, Peach looks much happier. She's like, ah, like you know, whatever. Yeah. The American box, she looks fiercer, yeah, and she looks right. kind of kind of ugly, actually. <laughs> okay. And like the, all the Japanese guys right. who want to buy the game, they're like, this new box. We don't like this new box art because that's the thing is we can't even betray Peach as being overly feminine now. Even even when she gets her own game where she has agency and all that stuff, which is fine. Right. Um, we can't make her look too feminine because, you know, because the only real women are actually men now. So, but that's, I don't know. I don't, <laughs> like, I don't, uh, Mario made so much money. And for a lot of reasons, like Mario is recognizable. That movie, that movie was fun. I really loved it. It was one of my favorite movies. The woke stuff. I'm not saying it was 100% absent from the film. Right. But it was downplayed to a major degree that I was so surprised. I was like, right. I think I'm, I was like, I might hate this movie. But like, they, they, I think if Nintendo wasn't there like checking them it would have been so much worse mm -hmm. and i think it's because they still have somewhat of a traditional model of gender roles yes over in japan yes like it, for now for now for now um i don't know how long it'll last with you know because everything terrible every ideology is terrible basically comes from america now but yeah it's, I know. Just That's, it's our greatest it's it's our biggest export really you know it's it's the saddest thing like i 
men want to see men save a girl. Right. And women want to see men save them. I, I, I don't I don't know. I'm sorry <laughs> I don't know if that how hurts else your to put feelings. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry that hurts your feelings, but like that's why rom coms have not changed. Those are the only movies that don't seem to have been touched by woke ideology. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But which ones? The romantic comedies, like it's oh, still yeah. pretty. Tra- it's still pretty traditional, like yeah. that. You know, because the ones that and they tried that gay one, Bros. I, oh, I did not word. see this film, oh, but it word. tanked at the box office. And I was like, you'd think that a movie, a romantic comedy starring two gay men, would like do well in today's market? No, right. like because we all know that's not what we want to see. Right. Like I remember one time. I'm sorry, just one story before we get started. I remember I was traveling the country with performance group. Um, we were, we were driving to, I forget where we were going, but on the street, there was a gay couple and they kissed and this one girl said, Oh, that's so beautiful. And I, I didn't believe her. Mm. I was like, I feel like you are saying that because you feel like you have to say that because that's what you're supposed to say. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I, I just, I think deep down the reason that movie failed is because honestly, like we know deep down, like, gay is gross. Yeah. <laughs> like, we yes. don't want to go to the movies yes. to see a romance between right. two men. We don't right. want right. to see that. It's like appreciating modern art. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, I know, I know I'm know, i supposed to love this, but I don't. The banana sp- with the duct tape on. Yeah, it's really freaking ugly. That's, <laughs> it's disgusting. Um, okay, so those that's our thought on uh, Snow uh, Snow Not White and uh, Super Mario Peach. Um or Super Peach and uh, Super Super Peach and also Mario shows up. Okay, I'm, 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 okay, I'm, I'm trash. It wasn't that, that, wasn't that bad. bad. Yeah, okay, I, 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 I like the movie a lot. So the tweet we wanted to uh, address, and um, this was on the um, the group uh, that we don't talk about. Um, hmm. This is where we found out about this, and um, this is by okay. So you told me, homeboy here, who's who's posting this tweet. You said he's part of G3. Part of G- well, um, he's either part of it or he's a speaker there. I know he was at the latest conference. I've recognized him in a lot of videos. Okay. So Mr. Scott. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Okay. But you, A-N-I-O-L, Aniel. Yeah. Aniel. But he has, from what I understand, he's not the biggest uh, critiquer of Christian nationalism, but I know that anything resembling Christian nationalism or theonomy, like it's, it's on been, it. Yeah, which is weird because I believe he would hold a theonomy, and from what I understand, and you got to correct me if I'm wrong, he's an abolitionist as well. Yeah, but so. looking at this tweet, it looks like no, 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 no. You don't, you don't hold on to any of those things. No, you don't. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't get it. So here's the tweet. Okay, so um, seventy the quote from Scott Aniel. Here we go. Seventy million innocent lives murdered, thousands of women raped, children molested, illegitimate children left to fend for themselves, physical mutilation, secularism. No. All done in the name of Christ during Christendom. Oh, wow. <laughs> the answer to cultural atrocities is not secularism or Christendom. It is, a fervent, it is fervent evangelism and prayer for revival. Then more and more Christians living faithfully in a society that takes depravity seriously, checks and balances, distributed power, representative democracy, etc. See, this is where it gets so confusing. Uh, and I, and Luke, Luke and I have talked about this like... You know, when we do this podcast, we encounter a lot of strange things out there. We pray and hope that those people will come to a knowledge of the truth or that their influence will be taken away, you know, because there's a lot of false teachers. With G3, it's really interesting because G3 um, has a really great resource. You're going to get a lot of good theology. You're going to get a lot of good sermons and things like that. But for whatever reason, the last 
year or so, it seems like they're just losing their minds over this building Christendom thing. Mm-hmm. I, I and I don't really understand yeah, it because right. what he writes at the end there, there's no reason that's incompatible with building Chris, Christendom. Right, it's true. Very and true. there yeah. seems to right. be this like right. disconnect mm-hmm. between uh, between building Christendom and like, oh no, Christians living faithfully in society and taking depravity seriously. Well, in order for them to do that, they're gonna build Christendom. Right. So, exactly. Like, <laughs> so, What's the fruit of that? What's the fruit of that? Yeah. You know. What, what, what's the fruit of every... Okay, we all do this in society. Yeah. And everyone becomes a Christian. Now what do we have? A Christian nation. <laughs> yeah, I don't, yeah. I, I, but, but, I mean, we, I mean, we, we can't obviously... I mean, some, some institutions need to be changed, yeah. right? We, we can't have some of the things that we have right now, right? Hmm. We, we got to do something about some of the institutions. Like, if, you know, if we all became a Christian tomorrow... Would, 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 would we keep public schools? Would we keep yeah. mandatory um, taxation? Mm. I mean, compulsory taxation? Mm. Or would we be like, oh, we're all Christians now, and, and we don't need to worry about any of that stuff now. We're all just <laughs> going to be good boys. We'll all get along fine, just like they did in the early church. Everyone got along fine. Yeah. Nobody argued. you know, and, and, and everything was just great. And they didn't have any questions, and they mm. didn't ask the question, how then shall we live? Everything was just fine because everybody was a Christian. You know, so you have to ask that question. How, yeah. okay, we're all Christians now. How then shall we live? And wars have been fought mm. about this. Mm. And, and, um, and, and, and so denying, uh, denying that um, Christians controlling culture um, is a good thing. Denying that mm. um, brings even more death and destruction. Because, yes. I mean, this, this is contrary to the claims of the Bible. The Bible says, Wicked men do not understand justice, mm. but the righteous understand it completely. That's Proverbs twenty-eight five. Well, why do the why do the righteous understand it? Mm. What what do we have <laughs> that the wicked don't have? And this is in Proverbs. Yes. What do we, we have access to that they don't? How do we understand it? When I became a Christian, all of a sudden I understood justice. Yeah, that's it. It's just like you know, like the divine tractor beam. Boom. You know. <laughs> Uh, and, and 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 let me let me tell you something right now. The the secular version of that mm. is you get voted into office. Right. That's the secular version. Okay. The the this faulty Christian understanding is like okay, I'm a I'm a Christian now, and suddenly I understand justice. I don't think anybody really argues for that, but but that's not how we understand the verse. But the secular version of that, and this is something that people do argue for. This is something. This is something that the that secular people do believe. This is something that this is how we function. That if you get voted in office, somehow you have this magical understanding of law and jurisprudence, and like you know justice now. And I'm serious. That's how people act. Mm. You know, when we were at the uh, Harrisburg Capitol the other day. You know, um, the, the, when you talk to people, it's like you have this like, OK, you're a, you're just a normal schmuck until you get voted into office. And now you're special. <laughs> it's like, what happened? You know, like you have these votes and like, what do we like? Do we like, you know, uh, um, do use telepathy to like, you know, send you like a piece of ourselves and with the our powers combined, you know, justice, <laughs> you know, that, that but that's how people act, hmm. you know. And, and, and so, you know, the, the, the claims of Scripture go go counter are, are counter to this tweet. Hmm. Scripture does not make this claim. When the righteous rule, the people rejoice. Yeah. Okay? And he's saying, no, not true. Hmm. He's saying that is not true. Uh, that's what he's heavily implying here. I know if, if we backed into a corner, I'm sure that he would, uh, I'm sure that he would explain himself a little bit more. Um, but as of right now, this tweet is not, ca- uh, is not taking into account hmm. certain claims from cr- Scripture. Claims from Scripture go against this. Mm. When the wicked rule, the people groan. Yeah, you know, and 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 this this man in this tweet 
I'm going to read it again. 70 million innocent murder, uh, lives murdered. I don't know where he gets that figure from. Thousands of women raped, children molested, illegitimate children left to fend for themselves, physical mutilation, secularism? No. All done in the name of Christ. All done in the name of Christ. Mm. Really? People raped peep women in the name of Christ. I want, Dude, I want chapter and verse. All right, I, I want chapter and verse on that. Now, you could probably say, well, here's this one guy. He said it and blah, 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 blah here. Okay, great. All right? But I, I, I don't, you know, I don't find the worst thing about communism and say, hey, this is what all communists believe. Mm. <laughs> he did it. So all, all communists, like, I, I know Stalin, like, personally murdered people, but I don't, like, I don't go to communism and, like, hey, you want to do everything Stalin did. I'm not going to misrepresent mm. their side like that. Just mm. because he did it doesn't mean every communist wanted to do it. Right. So, so, so I'm sure you could find, well, this one guy said this one thing one time and the uh, Pope made this decree one time. Okay. That's not, that's not representative of the entire Christendom. This is bogus. Sorry. I'm going on a rant. No, no, it's okay. Because, you know, I'm not denying that these things happened. Like, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure that I'm sure there's a reason Scott wrote those things, but the, this is the big question is, you know, I don't think there's any modern day theonomist or even Christian nationalist, if you want to take that um, label on yourself, who admits that Christendom in the past did everything perfectly. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I can't find that person. Right. But that's not the issue. The question is, these things, if they did happen legitimately, which again, you know, little suspect here, um, and yeah. using mm-hmm. the exception to prove the rule, which mm-hmm. it seems to be what Scott is doing, is that, was that a feature of Christendom or was that a bug? Mm-hmm. And there's thing if, the difference between bugs and features. So, like, if you have, uh, sh- if you're streaming Netflix or whatever streaming service, one of the features is that when you click out of something you're watching, it goes into the continue watching list, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That's a feature of Netflix. Mm-hmm. But it would be really weird if every time you clicked on a show, it just disappeared. It just disappeared. You couldn't find it anymore. Mm-hmm. That would be a bug. That's not what the... That's not what the system is supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And that's when we find these things in history that are done in the name of Christ. A lot of people do a lot of terrible things in the name of Jesus. A lot of people do a lot of, they could do a lot of terrible things in the name of anybody. The question is, did Christ have something to do with that? Mm-hmm. And the answer is no, mm-hmm. he, he, he didn't. Other than the fact that he was sovereign over it. But that's not, I hope, thank you, you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, right. The, but the thing about building Christendom is I love what he writes at the end. The answer is cult- uh, to the cultural atrocities is not secularism or Christendom. It, I don't like that part. It is fervent <laughs> evangelism, prayer for revival, then more and more Christians living faithfully in a society that takes depravity seriously. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, what does that practically look like? Well, it looks like Christendom. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, and and yeah, that's the problem. Exactly. Like yeah. uh, a lot of times they mischaracterize. And again, I'm, I'm doing a series right now on examining Christian nationalism. And it seems like a lot of the critiques that G3 will give. And I think even Scott has given, I'm just like, you're saying the same thing he's saying. He just seems to be saying it in a way that says it's going to work. Mm-hmm. And that, that, and that's the thing is um, if evangelism works, if, people become Christians, if people begin to change their values and everything, they're not going to want this secular thing that was not working Mm -hmm. because it goes against Christ. And so what kind of system do you build that is pro-Christ that works for Christ? We tried the neutral sphere for a while, but we were just surviving off the fumes of Christendom that happened in the past. That's the only reason that secularism worked. 
that worked yes. for a little bit mm-hmm. is because we were still we still had all the Christian assumptions, mm-hmm. we still had the Christian work ethic and economics, and all stuff, all the things the Puritans right. gave us and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Right. America, you had to be a Christian. I don't know how long you had to be a Christian to serve in office, but there was this idea that if you serve in office, you should be a moral person, and that went away. But right. and now all the fruit of us abandoning our Christian roots is all coming to fruition right now. Mm-hmm. And we have a mess and we have people who didn't grow up in that past, Mm -hmm. in that far past. I don't know how old Scott is, but he grew up in the secular part of our history where things were kind of neutral. Like he's still being Christian, still gave you a little bit of social capital. It was okay. Right. But he doesn't remember what it used to be like. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm not saying it was perfect back then. We always need to be reforming and advancing. And I think there's a lot of things we can get right with Christendom Mm 2.0. But the problem is when you don't have this big historical perspective and you're just naive to think we can get back to a little bit before the 90s and things will be okay. Right. And that that's not what's going to work because we have a lot of problems in the 80s and the 70s and the 60s and the sexual revolution that came on before and all that stuff that's going on. That all happened because we started abandoning Christendom. Right. Right. Like, yes. How does, how do you explain this? If, if, if we, if we understand Christendom as, as how, how, how effectively a culture adapts the Bible to their culture. Yeah. Faithfully. How faithful are they in adapting the Bible to their culture? That's, that's the measure of Christendom that Mm. we judge, that we judge it by. Okay. Now he just attributed all these horrible things to Christendom. Now I want, I'm going to read some things here at the end. Okay. Tell me, tell me something here. I'm going to list a couple of things. And tell me something here that Christendom did not give us. Okay? Sorry. I know exactly where you're going. So. Let's start with number one, checks and balances. Where did we get that idea from? Hmm? Who gave us that one? <laughs> All right? Was it, you know, uh, 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 was it somewhere outside of Christendom that was like, hey, we need checks and balances around here? <laughs> okay. Number two, distributed powers. Where did we get that idea from? Boy, that sounds like a really great idea. Who came up with that one? Gee, I wonder. And number three, representative democracy. <laughs> I, 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 I bet your homeboy's going to be like, oh, the togas. Oh, the togas gave us that one. The Greeks gave us that one. No, 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 no. Not the way that we do it and understand it now, man. Come on. Come on. This this is ridiculous. I, I mean, like, what we don't need is Christendom. What we need around here is some Christendom. That's what I hear. That's what I hear. <laughs> That's what you just said. What we don't need is Christendom. Yeah. But man, if we could just get some Christendom around here, that's what we need, dude. Where do we get all this stuff? Oh my word! Yeah, it's 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 amazing. I know you said uh, how Christianity changed the world, which is what we're doing a young adults class through that book right now. Yes, it was one of your most foundational books. At least your dad says it was one of your most foundational books for like helping you change your perspective on so many oh, things. Post millennialism. Yeah. Yes, it was a big one. And it's just. It's just fantastic. I, I just was able, I was reading through a chapter last night on hospitals and how like hospitals, like the idea of what we have for a hospital does not happen right. without Christianity yes. taking root in a culture. Without Christendom. Yeah, without Christendom. Right. It, it's all well and good for, for a, a, a Templar or a ho- Knights Hospitaller to be like, hey, it'd be great if we could set up a, uh, uh, I don't know, some place for us to like heal these people. <laughs> Yeah, that's a great idea, but it's never going to work. Yeah, never going to work. We're never going to have utopia, so just abandon it. Yeah. You know, 
So, but they were like, "Hey, how about we actually do it?" And that's Christendom. Yeah, it's it's applying the script, the scriptural principles and and laws. And I mean, the homeboy didn't even talk about law, God's law. He's like, "Oh, when he checks and balances, that'll solve everything." Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's gonna solve everything. God's law. Who cares about that? But you need to go to God's law to find representative democracy in the and first checks place. and balances <laughs> and all this kind of stuff. I don't know what what was Moses talking about. Men over men over hundreds, men over fifties, like and coming from. Those things, and even even the church was doing that with yes. the with the with the deacons in Acts chapter six. Like these ideas of how to structure things, you're gonna get them from the Bible. Like, and the reason we have checks and balances is because we understand that man is man is sinful. He needs he can't have too much power. He needs checks and balances because of the reality of sin. All those things come from the Bible. Like mm-hmm. it's it's just ugh, I don't understand. It's like with one arm they want to hold up all these things. And they, but they don't, but they don't want to take it to its logical conclusion. No, I think no. that's the problem. No, that 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 tweet, in my opinion, is a celebration of humanism. That's 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 mm. what I think it is. It's celebrate. It's 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 a call for humanism. Uh, it, it's 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 trying to bring Christendom without Christ. Mm. That's what it's trying to do, in my in my opinion. You know, God's law was not mentioned in that in mm. in in that. Um, and and without God's law, we don't know what justice is. Mm. And he just listed all a bunch of injustices. Well, how did you know those are injustices? <laughs> what source did you go to to say it's wrong to rape women? It's wrong to kill children and mutilate people. Who told you this? Oh, we just, we all just kind of know by 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 watching Lions Mate. That's how we know. <laughs> just natural law. Yeah. Okay. All right. Great. Genius. You love that whole natural law. Oh, thing. I don't believe in natural law. I, know, I know. I was teasing you. That, that's, don't, don't, dude, don't get me started on that. Okay, hold on a second here. All right, so let me uh, let me go on to here. This I sent this to you, and we talked about it a little bit. The Richmond, North of Richmond guy, right? Yes, yes. Um, hold on a second. Here. That was big. I don't know what happened. Like, that was super huge for a while. That was huge. Um, okay. Let me see how much I can get this turned up here. Consider and that I need to have some sort of call to action. And I guess, like, if there's anything that I would respond to that with, um, given the opportunity we have now, it's like, I think we need to take a step back and re-envision what we want the next 20 or 30 years to look like. And there's an important verse that came to mind. A Pharisee asked Jesus, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. Like as simple as that is, if we could just find a way to make those two commandments, even outside. <laughs> just, I have to stop it right there. Yeah. Right, right. And he's like, this is my idea. I want to do this. I love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor. So if we could just find a way, if you would have kept reading, yeah, keep reading. for on these two commandments hang the law and the prophets. prophets. That's how you do it. Oh my word, that's hilarious. <laughs> just put the Bible down. And it was like, so, oh, right, sorry, a little context. This is the rich man with the rich Oliver and yeah. Anthony. Uh, or Anthony Oliver. What's his name? I can't remember. Uh, I think it, if he's not, if he's not a Christian, He's either a baby Christian or he's close to the kingdom because there's so many things that he's seeing. And yeah, I, I, there you seems know, to be so lot. many groups trying to grab him yeah. and pull him into this, their <laughs> yeah. camp. You know, so yeah. many, so many. Um, I, I, you know, I just, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just looking at that. I'm just, I'm just going. I just thought it was funny that he, the, like, he stopped right before the answer comes in, and it says, you know, for all these, all these two commandments hang the law and the prophets. Yeah. 
And uh, I, I, I'm like, look at that. I'm like, that is just so that is so funny to me. Anyway, yeah, I'm hoping I'm hoping that, and th- this is another reason why. Like, it's always exciting when a conservative or maybe even a celebrity claims to be Christian, and but because they're a celebrity, we we automatically elevate them. Uh, yes. to the place of teacher and they really mm-hmm. shouldn't yet yes. they need to sit down right. and He's learn a, a lot yeah, yeah exactly um, if, yeah. if he is a christian again i'm not sure but if he is he really should not be speaking this publicly um teaching which is ba- he's basically teaching this Bible verse. Now I know, like he wants to share his faith, but he he's not ready. Um, he needs a really good pastor to sit down and be like and explain to him, like no, like Jesus did tell us how to love our neighbor and how to love God. It's it's the law and the prophets, and uh, we just always have to be careful with with people who are celebrities who have a claim to faith. Because we immediately associate, well, they have this great platform. That means yes. God wants them to start right, teaching and right, talking. Right, I'm like, well, right, not necessarily. Right, 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 maybe, yes. maybe that's not yeah. their calling. They should sit yes. down for a while. Yeah, but yeah, I, I, I mean, the 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 celebrityism of America is just as ingrained in us as the mm-hmm. royalty of the, of the Brits. You know, it's mm. you know this. Well, you're royalty, so I mean, you have a voice, whether you want to or not. You have a voice, mm. and celebrities, whether they want to or not, they have a voice. Everything they say. Everything they say, we, 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 if you are famous, we, we all take it and we analyze it and we criticize it. You know, homeless man on the street, I forget what he said the next, you know, <laughs> the next 10 minutes, I yeah. forget what he was talking about. But if, but if you get any sort of fame and you get a platform, then everybody pays attention. It's yeah. just the way that it is. It's the way that it works. And, and, uh, I mean, I, I don't have a solution for it, but it's just, that's just the way that it is. You know, you can't, you can't escape it. This next one here, um, Let's take a gander at it here. Sorry, that was really loud. Um, okay, <laughs> here it is. Um, let me let me just do this again here. And here we go. I don't want that to be too loud. Help them level up on their social media marketing. What would it be? Let me let me ask you this. Yes. How many hours do you prep for one message on Sunday? He's talking about a whole week. Just whole week. Prepping, 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 prepping. Yeah. So here's the thing. I want to talk to the team members, not the lead pastors. Your lead pastor is spending hours and hours prepping for that message on Sunday just to what, sit in on a YouTube archive? Yes, you can obviously clip it for social media, but then, hey, y'all, y'all can use AI, y'all can use ChatGPT, transcribe it. Now you got a blog post. You can use ChatGPT to give you Instagram carousel swipes. There's tons of things that you can do there. Let's honor our lead pastors and repurpose the content that they're already working on every week. Amen? I just, you know, this is uh, this is the world we live in now, where you know churches are getting marketing teams to to market. Oh, that's what this was. I was like, is yeah. this happening on a Sunday morning? Like, what is what is happening? Yeah, yeah. This, I, mean, I don't know if it's a Sunday morning, but they're in a church. There's the worship team, homeboys holding the bass guitar back. Oh there. my goodness, so this, this is, probably is this, a Sunday this, morning service. Yeah, this is this is um, you know, are you repurposing your pastor's message from Sunday on social media? And that's what they're talking about. They're talking about like marketing strategies for your, you know. For your pastor who apparently can't preach to, to get anyone interested in his in his sermons, you know the, the 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 interest is not organic. It has to be it has to be superficial interest. It's unbelievable. What's the next one? When Barack became president, he tried <laughs> to force Africa to accept same-sex mes- uh, marriages, and African government said we don't allow that stuff here. Right. And Barack sanctioned yep. Africa. Well, Biden duplicated the same thing. 
Biden said the same thing, trying to force Africa, different countries of Africa, to accept same-sex marriages. And if those countries don't, he will sanction them, starve them. Mm. How in the world men knocking up men mean so much to America That's that a you good would question. use your power to starve a baby, starve a woman? Because a country want to uphold God's law. <laughs> you know, this guy annoys me sometimes. I, I, I can't lie. He really annoys me sometimes. Who is that guy? I don't know who he is. I've seen him a couple times. Um, and he annoys me sometimes because I feel like when he argues with people, it's not a... Um, he doesn't engage in fair or hmm. respect respectful tactics. Hmm. But what he just said there is so... <laughs> I mean, he said the L word. He said God's law. You know, <laughs> a, I mean, that's that's more than we can ask for many many uh teachers and preachers you just you, and you just came back from africa with you with your dad yeah talking just, about this yeah. mm-hmm. not this exact thing but talking about the importance of god's law for uh for structuring for government because there's so much corruption yes in there yes yeah they 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 will actually tell I me mean, most of them there not all of them but you know i think from where we were the democratic republic of congo was like they said it was like 80 percent christian which doesn't mean they were 80 percent of them are christians but 80% of them will tell you, yes, I am a, I am a Christian. Hmm. And many of them, a huge uh, percentage of that 80%, will tell you, yes, I want God's law for, as a standard for our country. I love God's law, and I want it for the same country. Hmm. A smaller percentage of that will actually know what God's law says, a much smaller percentage. I think most of them are very ignorant about what the law says. But even they will, you know, if you try to bring homosexuality into the Democratic Republic of Congo, they'll, they'll stone you right out. And that's, that happened... Well, we were in a, uh, right before we got to Africa, they they picked up stones and they threw it at a mining company. That a mining company, there's a lot of mines out there. A mining company was having some sort of exhibition and they put a rainbow flag up there. The next day, the populace came out and threw stones at the mining company, and the mining company actually apologized. Oh, wow. So, um, but you know th- that guy, what he said there is he, he brings up a lot of great points. I think he's I think he's disrespectful to people that he that he's arguing with sometimes. Um. He doesn't treat doesn't treat people the way that he wants to be treated, um, hmm. but um, uh, he, what he said there was just one hundred percent true. Yeah, I you know it's amazing like how true the things he's saying. Like the LGBTQ have so much power over our government, hmm. and I think this goes back to what we were just talking about with uh, with Scott's tweet, is that there's always going to be this thing, a god in control. Of the powers that be in the nation there you live. Yeah. There's always gonna yes. and right now that mm-hmm. God is the rainbow flag. It, yes. it, and it has enough power mm-hmm. to affect countries across the water from us. Yeah, like that that's how powerful it is. Yeah. And also goes back to, you know, seeing this. I don't know this guy, so I can't speak to his character or anything. But you we were talking a couple episodes ago about the the black church and how you know it's it's sad for me because the majority of black churches are liberal. But they're the most politically engaged evangelicals, mm-hmm. I think, in America. But they, but they don't, they don't have a biblical conservative uh, political theology. They've been sold a bill of goods mm-hmm. by the Democrats, mm-hmm. and so it's like you were saying, like if only if God were to do a work, and just harness that, and there was they're repentance. A giant. They're a yeah. giant. They have a lot of cultural capital they're not yeah. using. Yeah. 
in it's, my opinion. It's really sad. Okay, this next one here. Let's take a gander. Double thing when he gave us choice. God gave mankind choice. And what a gamble is that? You see, God is a gentleman. He will never force. Oh, here, sorry. That's oh, a lovely illustration. It shows God standing at the door and knocking. He says, Behold, I stand at your door and knock. And if any man hear my voice and opens the door, he said, I'll come in. How do we open the door? It's right here. What do you want? I will open that door. He will come in. I won't open that door. I want to do my own thing. God says, Okay. He's a gentleman. Does he? <laughs> but it does explain the heartache that we see on planet Earth. Some people say, How could God allow that to happen? Unfortunately, God gave mankind choice. He didn't want robots. Do you want people to love you because they choose to love you, or they've got to love that person? That, that, that doesn't happen. Does it? God gave. Oh man. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I'll tell you where where she lost me. <laughs> she lost me um, when she opened her mouth. That's where she lost me. <laughs> she a woman preacher. Yeah. Well, wait, a preacher, teacher. I don't know what she's doing up here, and you know, maybe, maybe this is. I mean, this could, chances, yeah. it could be an, a woman's conference or whatever. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I doubt it. Um, <laughs> just the things that she's saying, you know, uh, uh, very much not not biblical. Um, you know, wh what were your thoughts when you saw this one, Tyrus? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it's sad because, you know, we all reform. And I remember a time when I would have totally <laughs> sat down and like, yeah, that's totally right. That makes sense to me. Uh -huh. And we, I would have yeah. I would have ripped that. Uh, standing at the door and knock verse out of context all day long. <laughs> like, and Jesus isn't knocking on the door of the sinner's heart. He's knocking on the door of a wayward church. Like I, we, what, what, bo what bothers me about this now, you know, as you mature and you reform in your theology is that you realize that the reason people say stuff like this is to actually make God seem more um, approachable or more kind or more, more like loving, us. More, more, like more like us. us. Yeah. yeah. And, and when you when you grow in your understanding, you recognize that no, I'm actually making God less glorious. Mm -hmm. I'm actually that's what I'm actually doing because mm -hmm. if I say that you know, basically what she's saying, and I hope I think she would agree with me here, is that the problem of evil in the world is something that God is responding to. He's not he's not orchestrating it. He's not ordaining it. Now, God is able to do that without being evil himself. Mm -hmm. That's the beauty of yes. uh, God's holiness, yeah. is that he's able to, to ordain things to happen and yet be, be sinless and perfect in and of himself. And what is so amazing about that is that means God's in control. Mm -hmm. It means that every horrible circumstance I've ever been in, God was completely in control. He had the power to do something to sustain me through that. Now, the hard part is like, okay, why didn't he deliver me? Well, that's why we need to understand the full character of God. Mm. If we understand the full character of God's holiness, his justice, and his love, he will not only sustain me through that, he also will bring justice to the person who brought injustice against me. I also know that he's working it all together for good for those who love him, and yeah. he's also doing it all for his own glory and for my good. You see, all those things, when we take out just one piece of who God is, meaning that God's not really in control when evil stuff happens. And he, he would have stopped it, but he wants to respect man's free choice. Well, now we don't really have a God who's powerful enough to mm -hmm. save. Yes. All you have to do is just take one building block out of God's attributes and you kind of mess with the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so 
what do you got for me? You opened up uh, Job here. Right? Yeah, well, I opened I opened up Job, and this is uh, you know this is where God asked Job if he could bring evil into his life, and Job said, "Okay." And, you know, Job, was, wow, what a sacrifice, Job, a guy. You know, and, and God was like, "Thank you, Job, for allowing me to come into your life and you know kill all of your kids." And just so glad you allowed me to do this. So your so your take on that is is uh, you know Christ knocking at the door. You don't think that's personal salvation. You think that's no. I, in the context of the passage, like now, it, you. I'm not saying you can't use it as an illustration, but in its context, that door is a wayward church. Is a church that's starting to rebel against Christ, and he is knocking on the door and he's asking them to come back to him. He's asking them to repent, and if if they open up the door, I will dine with him and he with me. Mm-hmm. So it, it, a lot of evangelists use it, like you know, for that. But even Paul Washer, he says this all the time. He's like, I've seen, I've told evangelists who use that verse, like, you know, that's not what that verse means. He's like, yeah, but it works. I'm like, well, <laughs> there's a lot of things. Okay. But that. That's the first time I've heard that my whole yeah. life, actually. I've never heard that, that that's in reference to a wayward church and not to a sinner's yeah. heart. Yeah. And, well, it, it's so a part of our, our rhetoric mm-hmm. for, for evangelism. And it's, again, I'm not saying it's not a, it's a bad illustration. Like you, you could, but at the same time, the if Jesus wants to come into your heart, he'll just kick the door in. Right. He yes. he won't. Right. He, he's not patiently just waiting there. Like, will you please let me in? Will you please let me in? Like a right, beggar. Right, that's not. Right. That's not the Christ of Scripture. To he, to to believe that you have to give up the authority of Genesis six five. You know, mm-hmm. every inclination of his heart was only evil all the time. You have mm-hmm. to argue. Okay, that's not true anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, after the flood, people don't think like that anymore. We actually have good thoughts now. And it's and no, okay. Christ died and rose again. Guess what? Every inclination of my thought, of, of the thoughts of my heart, are only evil all mm. the time. Mm. All right. So you're born to the world, and you, this is confirmed again in Romans when Paul says, "Those who are in the flesh cannot please God." And again, First mm. Corinthians uh, chapter two, he's, he said, um, "You know, the things of the Lord are folly to those who are perishing." Yes. So, you know, these verses, you know, indicate that making the choice to let God in is never on the table in your heart. Mm. It's never on the table. You may make some sort of outward expression of it, and even mm. your heart might come into contact with that choice, but your ne- your heart's never going to embrace it because mm-hmm. since your heart is only evil all the time, it's never going to get this the best idea in the world. It's never going to jump from only evil all the time to, hey, here's a really good idea. Actually, the best idea that that mankind's ever had that is to put mm. the faith and trust in Christ. It's never going to jump. Make that jump. Yes. Unless God kicks the door down. Holy yeah. Spirit enlivens your heart. Yes. So takes the heart of stone, gives your heart of flesh. Um, so I'm going to read here from Job chapter 42. I jumped to the right one. Yep. Job chapter 42, verse 10. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. And this is verse 11. Uh, that I want to pay attention to here. Then mm. came to him all his brothers and sisters who, and all who had known him before and ate bread with him in his house. And they showed him sympathy and comfort him for all the evil that Satan had brought upon him. I'm sorry. I misread that verse. <laughs> I did, it's not what it says. I'm going to read it again. And they showed him sympathy and comfort him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon mm. him. So according to this lady, the Lord doesn't do that. No, he's mm. a gentleman. He would never do that to Job. <laughs> Never do that. Gentleman doesn't bring evil and kill all your kids. You know, it, it's it's um it's us. We're we're all doing it. Job has got something different to say. Lady, mm. I recommend to you, here's my recommendation. Repent in dust and ashes from that wicked thought of like, oh God would never do that. No, God has done that. He's mm. told us in the past. Look, look, when we die, 
And we stand before the Lord and, 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 and the purpose of, of his plan and, 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 his, hmm. and, and his history and his design is revealed to us. We're not going to be like, oh, why'd you do that? <laughs> yep, not going to do it. Um, you know, uh, why'd you do that? Lord, you know, I mean, when you look at Revelation and you see the angels pouring out the bowls of judgment, mm. the expressions they give when they're done are, ble- oh, my word, Lord, what, what a great idea. Blessed are you, yes. O Lord, who is like you? They just got done pouring a bowl yes. of judgment upon the earth. And they turn around and say, oh, my word, Lord, you're, you're a genius. Lord, who is like you? Mm. Who thinks like you? Nobody. Blessed are you, O Lord, for bringing these yes. things. You know, it's, it's just brilliant. You know, that's what the angels are saying about yes. God's judgment. And the saints now, they're, they're saying those things. Like, yes. we, I remember the first time I read that verse that you just read, and it was, like, so amazing to me. I was like, yeah, this is, like, I had already come to the, I had already come to Reformed Theology at that point, but I remember reading that and being like, oh, I wish I would have read, read this verse, like, yes. years ago and had to wrestle with this truth yes. of, like, no, like, but the, the thing is, it's it's all over the Bible. Yes. Like, you can't even go that far into your into the scriptures without realizing that God brings upon people hard things. Like there's the plagues in Egypt, the Jonah's whole story. Like, yes. in fact, I remember going to Bible college and like one of the questions was, who's the protagonist and who's the antagonist in the book of Jonah? And they're like, well, I, I you know, and they're like, God's actually the antagonist because antagonist in its broadest form means... Mm the person who applies pressure to the protagonist. Okay. It doesn't always automatically mean villain or evil. Right. It just means that Jonah is the main character. Right. Yes. God is the one applying pressure to Jonah mm. and he's right. But he's not, obviously God's not evil. He's not the villain, but he is applying pressure. Right. He sent the storm. Yes. He's the one who sent he's the fighting fish. Him. Yeah, fighting. Yeah. He, yeah. Well, Jonah is fighting God and losing really right, bad, right, right. but like they're fighting. They are. And, and God brought those hard things into Jonah's life to to, to make him do what he wanted. <laughs> like, and there's no other way to really see that. Like the reason God did all that stuff is to make Jonah do what God wants. <laughs> yes. You know? And, yeah. and that's what God does. Like, right. and he has every right to do that. <laughs> Here's uh, from revelation chapter 16, verse four, the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the water say, just are you, O Holy mm. One, who is, was, who is, and who was? For you brought these judgments. For they have shed yeah. the blood of some saint. They have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. Mm. You know, it, 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 it's it, you know when we stand before the Lord and we see His plan, we're gonna be, we're gonna say the same thing. Oh my goodness, this was yes. brilliant. Of course, it all makes sense now. It's just like uh, uh, there's, and you and you're gonna conclude. There's no way. I would have ever thought of this. There's no way I would have done it this way because I'm stupid. Yes. <laughs> because of the inclination of my heart is only evil all the time. So so don't go, go walking through life thinking, well, you know, God would do it the way I would do it. Mm. God would do it. That, that's what he would do. No, it, no, no. If you were in charge, we'd all be dead by now. <laughs> yeah. There is no way yes. if a human being, anyone who thinks they're the most righteous or just person was in charge of the universe, mm. like God is in charge of the universe, we would be dead. They would have killed Adam and Eve 
and start it all over again, and then we really would be mindless robots. We really would be. <laughs> yeah. That's what we would do. That's what I would do. Okay. And and you don't understand. Like these people, they think, well, if if I was if I was God, I would do the things he would do. No, you're no. incomparable. There is nobody like God. Nobody like him. If you were in charge, we would all be dead. Mm. You would be dead. We'd all be dead. You would have killed us off long ago. Mm. You are not merciful. You're not patient like God is. Mm. Don't put yourself in his shoes because you would have killed everyone and you would have put everyone in hell forever and ever. Amen. You would have destroyed everything. Mm. So don't put yourself and be like, oh, God would do the things I would do. No, you would have killed us all by now. You're not <laughs> merciful. You're not just. You're not patient. Get out of here. Anyway, rant over. Yeah, but that, I People mean, that's the, that's the beauty of the gospel right there too is mm. that we recognize that we deserve God's wrath and judgment. And it's only when we recognize that that's what we deserve and we see ourselves for who we are. Again, the Holy Spirit reveals that to us. But it's when you see your, yourself, God saved us from himself, by himself, yes. for himself. Yes. Like, mm-hmm. like, and that's the, yes. that's the beauty of the gospel is like my problem was with God. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's because God is just that I should be sent to hell. That, that's why. Mm-hmm. But it's in his mercy and his grace. Right. And Jesus takes the punishment. So God is still just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The wrath that should be poured out on the Christian in hell forever is taken by Jesus. And so God is still just. The just, the just mm-hmm. payment for the sin that you committed has mm-hmm. been paid for by Jesus, mm-hmm. by his blood. Mm-hmm. And you're like... I wouldn't do it that way. Yeah, you're right. You, you wouldn't would, do, it would do it that way. No, you wouldn't do it that <laughs> you way. You wouldn't do it that way. You would have killed everybody. <laughs> yeah, but that's the beauty of God. And in fact, that's what he says to Israel. You thought I was just like you. I'm mm-hmm. nothing like yes, you. Yes. Right, and right, right. praise God, he's yeah, nothing amen. like us. <laughs> yes. For from him and through him and to him are all things. Amen. And, um, and, and that's, that's the, isn't that the, uh, the beef with C.S. Lewis, right? Aslan, mm. Aslan negotiates with the witch. Right. And gives himself up for, for the kids. And the witch kills Aslan. Well, actually, you know, in the real story, Aslan kills Aslan because Aslan mm, is yeah. ma- Aslan is mad at the kids as they have wronged Aslan. Mm-hmm. They have not wronged the witch, and Aslan steps in to save Aslan. It's the children from Aslan. I mean, yeah. that's that's really yes. a more accurate p- picture. I, I get what you did there, Clive, but you know, <laughs> that's that's not exactly what what happened. But anyway, I've actually heard the defense of Clive. Actually, my brother Dave has made it actually a good a good defense of him. So there's an argument against that, but. Just on the face of it, that just seems to be what he what, what he was saying. This is not biblically accurate. Yeah, the White Witch doesn't really play into the crucifixion. You know. So, <laughs> anyway, why don't you believe in God? This is the question I'm asked. If believing in a God gives you comfort, so be it. For me, there is not a shred of verifiable proof of the existence of your God, or any of the thousands of gods that are claimed to exist. Religion is a holdover from the infancy of humanity that was used to control large groups of people and leveraged to create power. Until the millstone of religion is removed from around the neck of humanity, we will never progress as a species. Because even today, religion and the belief in God or any God is used to create division, hatred, and death. Have a nice day. 
<laughs> the original question is, why don't you believe in God? Let me start by saying I appreciate that this person takes the time to give a response. Let's look at what he says together. First, we're told that there isn't a shred of verifiable proof for God. Now this response should be a giant red flag. I get that some people aren't persuaded by the evidence for God, but to say there's no evidence, like zero, zilch, nada, is a massive overstatement. For centuries, brilliant men and women have offered arguments for God. For example, God has been argued as the best explanation of the origin of the universe and life, of objective morality and beauty, of miracle claims and personal experience, just to name a few. These aren't nothing. Second, he mentions that some people believe because belief in God brings them comfort. Okay, that's true. But so what? Does this mean that God doesn't exist? Of course not. Notice this focuses on the psychology of the believer rather than the veracity of the belief. Maybe belief in God brings comfort because there's a comforting God who exists. Third, he mentions that religion has been used to control people. Well, that can be true at times. But how does this show that religion isn't true or that God doesn't exist? Well, it doesn't. Again, notice how this focuses on the motivation of the believer rather than the truth of the belief. By the way, when someone disqualifies a belief based on its origin or genesis, they have committed a genetic fallacy. Finally, he says religion needs to be abandoned to progress as a species. This is a little ironic since it was religion, Christianity specifically, that brought us hospitals, <laughs> universities, human rights, and modern science. I call that progress. Have a nice day. That's the red pen guy, I think. Yeah, red yeah. pen logic, yeah. I, I've seen him, uh, a few videos of him. He does I, I a lot love, of great videos. Yeah, he's really good. Yes, and he's got a really great attitude, and he's he's calm and patient, and he, I believe he... He very, very rarely ever straw mans the argument. He, he's no. very faithful to the original argument, and he does a great job. He's I, fair, too. I, like I, I think he's fair, yes. Uh, one thing I, I didn't like about, about this response was there's, in, in, you know, when we talk about the evidence for God, the greatest evidence for God is, is not in the sunset and the sunrise. Mm. And, you know, I, I really don't like that argument. How could you not believe in God? Look at God every time I see a sunset. Okay. This, not not a not a good argument, okay? Be, be, the the greatest proof for God, and this is again evidenced um, by by the scriptures. Um, the greatest evidence for God is the Bible, okay? Mm. That's the Bible, because why do you feel it's important that we need evidence for things? Hmm. Someone told you that evidence is important. Why? If there's no evidence, what difference does it make? Okay. The, the atheists all believe from what I, I think I can, you know, I can make a broad swath here or a <laughs> swath. Um, um, they all believe that evidence is important. Hmm. Why? Why is evidence important? If we're all liars, what difference does it make ultimately? Now, they might say, well, here's why we need evidence. Yes, but if you keep on asking why, 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 there's no foundation to the, that, the fact that truth is important to them. They say, well, truth is important, but Why? Why is truth important? Objectively prove to me that, that, that truth is important. <laughs> and they can't. They can't do it because truth uh, truth cannot be held. It cannot be seen. Truth is similar to God in that way. That we know truth exists, but none of us can hold it. Hmm. Okay? And so all the evidence used against God can be used against truth. Right? So every argument that you can take and say, well, you know, God's not real. And here's all the evidence why he's not real. We just got rid of truth. 
And 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 now now you can say, well, I believe in truth, but you can't prove to me that it's important objectively. You cannot prove it. We get that idea solely from the Bible. The greatest the greatest proof of God is the scriptures because you feel that you need proof for things. And where did we get this idea that we need to use proof? We got that from the Bible. That is a biblical idea. Mm. You know, there's many people in pagan societies, and we're going back to this now, where proof is completely irrelevant for things. It's completely mm. irrelevant. Do not need proof. Do not even think about proof. Proof is completely irrelevant. It's not even a factor into my my reasoning or um, my thought process. Proof is a biblical, it goes all the way back to Exodus when you're like, have a trial and you need to have proof. That's where we get the idea that proof is important objectively for all human humanity. It, it's it's not just important for me because atheists will say, atheists will say, well, well, it's important for me. You know, I think I I, I need to have proof. Yeah, you, but so is chocolate being your favorite flavor of ice cream. <laughs> that doesn't mean anything to me. It means nothing to me. Uh, congratulations, you like proof. Great. But how do we get this idea of what's important for everyone? Objective truth. We get those ideas from the scriptures and the fact that people are like, I want to see proof. You are assuming that proof is important. Where did you get that idea from? And and, and that's my frustration when we're like, well, I know, you know God exists. Christians, you got to start with the Bible. Hmm. Well, actually, I couldn't find the verse because I brought my smaller print Bible here. But in 1 Peter... I think it's first or second Peter, but it, he basically yes. says he's referring that, right? to the transfiguration. Yes. Oh, it's an amazing experience. You know, yes. he saw Elijah and Moses and they're talking with Jesus and Jesus was transfigured in front of them. They saw his glory on the mountain. But then he says something really interesting. I really hope that you, uh, you can, you can find yes, it. Yes, here it is. Yep, here it, it is. was in second Peter. second Peter one. I, was, I could have found it, but I was, I read this the other day and I was just really struck by this. It's right. amazing. Yep. Go ahead. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. That's the literal voice from heaven that all the atheists want, right? I would believe in God if there was a voice from heaven telling me to do it. And Peter's like, I heard the voice. We heard the voice from heaven. Yeah. It, and this is, this is referring to the transfiguration. Yes. Amazing moment. Like, I would love to be there. I would want to see that. Right. But Peter doesn't stop there. He says something really, really interesting in verse 19. Mm -hmm. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed mm -hmm. to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until yes. the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. It, it, Peter says above this amazing experience of the transfiguration, yes. he's like, he basically is like, forget about that. We have something yes. more fully confirmed. It's yes. the scriptures. It's the word of yes. God. That is unbelievable because you would think you know we're we're so fixated on experience and it's not that experience doesn't matter peter's not saying that i right. mean he, the scriptures have the transfiguration and we wouldn't know about it if the scripture didn't tell us but for peter he said that experience as amazing as it was right was an experience right. and your experience you, you can misinterpret an experience you, and experiences are nice but they're fleeting but mm -hmm. one thing that's not fleeting like an experience is God's word. Mm -hmm. God's word never changes. It's eternal. It always lasts. It always rings true. 
our exp- how how many how many times have you said this is the most amazing experience I have, and like a decade later you can barely remember like what happened that day, all the little tiny moments, the aha moments you had on the boat. Yes, <laughs> to make an Andy Andy yes, reference yes, there. Like I forgot about I my really, yeah, but like and Peter's <laughs> no, but Peter's like this is not just like he had a great day. Like yes. no, he saw. Christ transfigured yes, in right. his glory in front of him and he mm-hmm. heard the voice of the father that's amazing and Peter says yeah well, it was great but you know what's even better the yes. word of God it's unbelievable yes. that he would say that yes <laughs> right yes and, and, and Christians we need to put that as our foundation Christ Christ is the cornerstone um, uh, the legacy standard Bible um, that James White is a huge fan of just a little plug there for James White um, he said uh, in, uh, in in Peter, it words it like this way. It, wor- it words it this way. And we have as more sure mm. the prophetic word. That's how they word it. We have as more sure. More sure than what? The transfiguration. <laughs> more Crazy. sure than the transfiguration. Have you ever heard someone say, well, I believe in Jesus because I experienced it. Uh, okay. All right. Listen, you, you might come to Christ through experience. I don't deny that happens. Mm. You come to Christ through wisdom. Sometimes you come to Christ through knowledge. But, but you don't stay there. Your faith reaches the foundation at some point. If it doesn't, then then the same level that you're going to get on the building, you're going to get off at that level too. Mm. It's, a, it's a long drop. Okay? you you got to make your way down to the foundation to check it out. What is holding up this entire thing? This huge, my, my faith apparatus, what's holding it up? It's not your experience. It's not your wisdom. It's mm. not your knowledge. Okay? It is Christ, his word, and on that word is your faith. It's your faith. Faith is a victory that overcomes the world. Add to your faith goodness and to, to that goodness knowledge. Okay, we start with faith. And and that's what Peter's saying here in, in, in his own way when he says, we have more sure the prophetic word. It's more sure than even the transfiguration. So, and, and again, this is also said by Christ. Even if people were resurrected and told them, and you don't listen to Moses and the prophets, you have all that you need. Mm. Moses and the prophets are more valuable to you than having someone be resurrected. A lot of Christians don't believe that. No, they do not believe that. Like, <laughs> and definitely not Moses and the prophets. Like, yeah, yeah. No. not a chance. The Gospels, yeah. Yeah, the Gospel, yes. <laughs> Moses and the prophets, no way. <laughs> no way. Oh, man. It's just, uh, that, 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 I'm so glad you brought it because while I was talking about it, I was actually trying to type that, that passage in. I'm so glad you said that. No, I, it I just struck a very me. Very it, powerful passage. Yeah, and it, it struck me because you know, like, and you, you can't. You're always influenced by your culture. You always you hope you can rise above that through the power of the spirit. But mm-hmm. we place so much emphasis on experience. Mm-hmm. And again, it's not that experience is bad. It's just that the word of God is more sure yes, than that. Yes. And Peter, that's what Peter's point is. Amen. And you would, and like I know there are people. Um, if I get a little personal, there are people I know. I know who I care about, who the only reason they cl- they they hold to assurance of their salvation is that they had a spiritual experience. Mm. Oh, uh, I walked forward or I spoke in tongues once and you know, I'm not going to get into that whole thing, but they, they had a yes. spiritual experience. Yes. But here's the thing, like even, even if even an angel from heaven gives you another gospel, that, that means people can have a spiritual experience and it be false. Yes. Like, and it does not, it yes. does not mean just because you had a spiritual experience that one, that you have salvation or two, that that experience was even legitimate. Mm-hmm. If you don't listen to the scriptures about what it really means to come to faith, what is the evidences of faith? If those things that the scripture says aren't true in your life, doesn't matter how spiritual that experience was. Mm-hmm. 
even if it was a real spiritual experience, even if an angel did appear to you, it doesn't mean anything if it contradicts what God's word, if your life contradicts what God's word says. Because mm-hmm. we have something more sure than your experience. Again, it's not that experience isn't important. The transfiguration was an important moment, but not more important than the scriptures. Mm-hmm. To Peter, that's yes. not how he felt about it. Right. He said, and I mean, that it's so hard to say that. You feel like you're saying something wrong because of the experience he had. Mm-hmm. Like the transfiguration, you're like, oh, it something was, better than that? It was, <laughs> yeah, sec, it was secondary to the scriptures. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, it's, you know, the red ink stops, my friends, the red ink stops after the book of John, basically. There's mm-hmm. only one or two red ink quotes after that. If you were to put the Old Testament quotes in blue, it's almost, almost universally blue ink quotes after the book of John. And Peter, I don't think Peter's talking about the letter that he's writing. I don't. Mm. I don't think he. I. I don't even. I'm not even sure if he knew about the Book of Acts. You know, the mm. immediate context of what he's talking about mm. is the prophetic word, that's Genesis through Malachi. Yeah. Can we talk? I'm not saying that's only what he was talking about. He's talking about the prophetic word, but the immediate context is Genesis through Malachi, and he thought that was good enough. And that's basically the biggest thing that we reject. Yeah. In in in, in our in our society. We're so embarrassed by it. We mm. run, we run like cockroaches when someone turns a li- someone turns a light on. That's the thing we're embarrassed by the most. Mm. We gotta be ashamed of ourselves. Well, that, that's what that's what happens with Andy Stanley, like unhitching from oh, the Old Testament. Oh, please don't tell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but Man, like that, I really that, don't like that guy. Oh, but that's 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 the that that's what that thinking produces yeah. is an Andy Stanley who yes. says we don't we don't really need the Old Testament. We don't even really need the Bible. Mm-hmm. We need the resurrection. Mm-hmm. Which, again, yeah, without the resurrection, our faith is useless. That's true. But what Andy's trying to do is actually saying the scriptures aren't authoritative. This experience of the resurrection, that's what's authoritative. Mm-hmm. But the only reason we know about the resurrection is because of the Bible. But that type of thinking of we, we don't need the Bible, we, we need – that's where the thinking of experience trumping the Bible – always leads to false teaching it's just all it's always going to happen yes every time because you're devaluing the scriptures amen um let's see here well maybe we'll do this one we'll close it out this will be our last one here for a second i thought this said star trek this is star talk choice seems illusory Brian, you month, Brian, you month, you once tweeted. You said, um, "Free will is the." Wait, you're gonna quote a tweet of mine in front of this guy over here? (laughs) Free will is the sensation of making a choice. The sensation is real, (laughs) but the choice seems illusory. Laws of physics determine the future. I had to say that. You, (laughs) you were compelled. It was determined from the Big Bang. (laughs) I had to say that. (laughs) What does physics have to say about free will? Well. It's not definite because we don't fully know the laws of physics, but the laws of physics that we currently have at our disposal have no opportunity for intercession by human will, right? I mean, we are a collection of particles governed by laws that you can write down and fit on a t-shirt, and those laws don't at any point in the evolution of the particles say, hey, can you like tell me now what to do, person? Mm -hmm. They just determine the future based upon what things were like in the past. But Brian, can't can't there be an emergent property of that collection of molecules that we can call free will? Because the emergent property, if, we under, if you know emergence, it's a feature of an ensemble that cannot be deduced by the study of the individual. 
Like ants. Like ants. You study one ant, you say, hi, ant. They'll shake your hand. You have no idea that a thousand ants together are going to make an ant mound. Right. Or a thousand termites make a termite mound. Right. Or that birds will flock. You have no way to predict that. So the idea that. is that, that one yeah. ant sounds like Woody Allen. <laughs> if free will doesn't exist it. at the <laughs> level of That was obscure. <laughs> I, got not, I got the ants reference. Yeah, it doesn't it. exist at the level of physics. Could it not exist at the level of biology it, it or, say, psychology? That's right. So, so it's a very good point, and it really depends on what your definition of free will is, right? Normally, the intuitive definition is things could have been different, and I could have made a choice for things to turn out differently. And if that's your definition of free will, does that resonate with your perspective of free will? Then I don't see any way to square that with the laws of physics because anything that you do is your particles executing some kind of motion and the motion of your particles in your brain, in your body, have no opportunity to allow you as a conscious being to direct them. What force could possibly that direction come from? <laughs> is it the electromagnetic force? Well, that one we understand from Maxwell. Is it the gravitational force? Mm, we understand that one from Einstein. Is it the nuclear forces? Those we understand from the standard model particle physics. What force could you possibly exert on your particles that goes against or goes beyond those that emerge from the equations of physics? So there is a puzzle right now in quantum physics that has been on the table for 50, 75 years, and we don't know the answer to this puzzle. And that's why I have to couch my remarks with a little bit of uncertainty. And that puzzle is this. Quantum theory says that you can only pre predict the probability of one outcome or another, right? 50% chance electron here, 50% chance there. Yet when we measure the electron, we always find it either here or there, right? One or the other. So how do you go from the fuzzy probabilistic haze of many possibilities to the single definite reality that we all experience in everyday life? We still don't know how to bridge that gap. So within that, if consciousness somehow plays a role in picking out one outcome from the probabilistic haze, then sure, then free will might come well, for the ride as there well. There you go. But, so but, but, you just but, said, you but, just no, said, no, 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 no. You, <laughs> you just said, probabilistically, the particle can be here or there. Yes. But if you measure it, it is only in one place. Yes. So my act of thought yeah. is I want to go, I'm, I want a cheeseburger. That's the particle in this state. And I'm going to say, I want a cheeseburger. Bam! The particles there. Wait, let me, ah, let, see, that's wait, the no, part no. I don't buy right there. You see, wait, because... Why are you poking wait, your... Okay. <laughs> because it's random. There's nothing that you did to pick one outcome because you wanted it, because you... And this, this is the discussion that pe these people are having. Um, and this is the kind of, these are the kind of arguments you get, you know, you look, you know, you look at the Christians um, and, and people say, why? Look at you guys arguing with your different denominations and you're arguing about such petty things and you go into the world and we're arguing about cheeseburgers. <laughs> okay. And, and listen, I, I understand the argument and I, and I see what they're saying, but this is what happens when you get rid of the idea of a soul. Mm. And we have we have a soul that there's something inside of all of this physical things and something that is a, on a spiritual level that's causing all of these things to happen, mm. and 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 there's an ultimate soul that's in charge and controlling everything, so that the idea of free will and the idea of determinism actually don't have to fight each other; they can actually yeah. come together very well. And um, but this, this these are the kind of discussions you get when you reject God and when you reject the idea of a soul. Now we can't have justice. Mm. With this I, I, I outlook, you can't have justice because, um, you know, I raped that girl, but I'm just a product. Why are you punishing me? I'm just a product 
of the uh, molecules in my body. Yeah. You cannot hold me responsible. You're acting like I had a choice in the matter. No. The molecules put a gun to my head and said, rape the woman. It's their fault. Punish them. It's amazing that they have to keep it to a simple thing like a cheeseburger. Like, I wonder if this talk would have been completely ruined if someone would have brought that up. Because, because like, like you're, like you were just saying, I think we as Christians get intimidated by talks like this. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so like, I don't know anything about quantum physics. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. I don't. Um, however, when science is your God, these kind of discussions are like, well, we have to figure out how free will works. Science has to help us. This is the closest thing we can get to that. And you come up with these kind of explanations. But he, what was amazing, he said, we actually can't figure out there's a gap here that we don't understand. Maybe someday we will actually understand. Mm -hmm. Maybe we will. But what's, what's, what's interesting about what he's saying is I have to say all of this with humility. This is religion. Mm -hmm. It's religion. Like he, he sounded no different than than a calvinist basically <laughs> like you know he's he's saying like i have to say this with a degree of humility like you know free free will here god's sovereign to hear like there's almost no difference he's just using different words mm. but he's describing his mm. god his god mm. is the quantum physics algorithm whatever you want to call it again yeah. i'm showing my ignorance here yeah, yeah. but like but but when when that is your god it has all the answers and you do he go he's pious about it that's what was so amazing watching this is like the piety that he has. And he's like, he's saying things confidently and yet there's a humility. And I'm like, he looks a lot like a Christian talking yeah. about God. <laughs> and, but, but he actually doesn't have the answer. Mm -hmm. And what's amazing is that, you know, he would make fun of us, you know, these uh, Bible thumping bumpkins over here to saying, we understand how the universe works. And what's amazing is like, I don't need to know quantum physics to know how you don't have to know quantum physics to know how the universe works. Mm -hmm. God's actually given the answer so that even a, a plowboy can understand mm -hmm. how the universe works. Mm -hmm. That's what I love about God is that there are some things we just won't understand. But did you know that we can not only understand life, death, resurrection, redemption, all these things. We actually understand how the universe works because we can read our Bible. Mm -hmm. That Christ is upholding all things by the word of his power. Mm -hmm. Now, there's more to that, and there's a lot more we could talk about that, and that's, I think, taking dominion, is figuring out quantum physics, figuring out how atoms and all these things work. But divorced from God, I don't think science will ever be able to fill that gap that he's talking about. Mm -hmm. I actually think that the only people who actually would be able to fill that gap someday will be Christians mm -hmm. because, because God, he, he'll either in his grace reveal it, but it will be God honoring people seeking to understand the world that God has made. I believe mm -hmm. we'll be able to fill that gap someday. That's just a theory of mine. But. And, and, and yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's true too. I mean, uh, it's, it's historically, you know, the first humanists were Christians, hmm. the, the, the humanistic sciences that, that, that those were Christians. And there's a reason for that. It wasn't that just stumbled blindly into it. You know, they read the scriptures. They were armed with confidence that, that there are laws that don't change because Christ is holding everything by the word of his power and that God instituted seasons and they're not going to change and they're always going to stay the same. Um, you know, and, and armed with that knowledge, Christians went out into the world saying, okay, I can know because things aren't going to change. Mm -hmm. If I walked into the world thinking tomorrow that the rules are going to change, 
then my equipment is 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 going to be affected. The things I bring into the field, my mm-hmm. my my predictions of the future, they're going to be affected if I think everything could change tomorrow. But if I go out there with saying, okay, if I can establish a law here, then the next day I can go out with that same law and build on that law, and then make another law. If if A then B, if B then C, and start building the system around nature. If but it only works if I actually believe and have faith mm-hmm. that tomorrow is going to be like today. Mm-hmm. And if the if if we get into conversations with atheists and they say, well, you know, I actually don't know um, that tomorrow, and I can't prove to you that tomorrow is going to be like today, then I say your faith doesn't match your actions because you actually believe that mm. tomorrow is going to be like today. You don't live like tomorrow could change because if I live like tomorrow could change, um, you'd see you, you wouldn't even. I mean, you'd see me acting and behaving differently. Mm. But I, you see me prepare for next, uh, you know, a, a skiing trip in January. Because of the seasons, you know, <laughs> that I'm living consistently. I'm not like, well, you know, I mean, you know, when people are like, hey, look, you're going skiing in January. Well, the face could change at any moment. So maybe I will, maybe I won't. I just live for today, you know. Um, we don't do that. And we live in a, in, in a world where we predict, the, we can predict the future because we actually act like the future is going to be the same. I mean, the law, excuse me, not the future is going to be the same. The laws are going to be the same. There's a consistency in nature. And where do we get that faith from? That's faith. You can't mm. prove it. You cannot prove it. You can only build on it. You you have mm. to believe it at some point. But you cannot prove to me that tomorrow's going to be like today. Every atheist has to be like, well, there's a chance that the cha- laws could change tomorrow. Because we had a big <laughs> bang. Where did that come from? I don't know. It just kind of happened. Kabam. And then there it was all in an instant. Could another big bang happen tomorrow? Yes, it could. Okay. Do you live according to the, like that's possible? Well, no, I don't. No, no, we don't. We don't. We make plans for the future. We we go out and we make laws, and you know we have scientific laws. And if I actually believe that tomorrow was not going to be like today, there's a chance it could change. I would never establish a law. I would never say this is a law. Anyway, well, folks, that is our episode. Thank you so much for listening to Thank You Reform Podcast, the Low Hanging Fruit with Luke and Tyrus. There's a lot more videos that we want to get to, but we spent so much time talking about these videos um, that next time, Lord willing, we will get into it. Um, there's a couple of the videos. Um, I definitely want to get this guy, this Mr. Ted Talk guy, fact-checking the Bible. Oh, yeah, with that a game show. What was that? Um, what was the name um, of that game um, show? The, the Bible um, Bible trivia game show? Or yeah, yeah. Jeff Foxworthy? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember watching that show. Yeah. <laughs> that was a really interesting video. It's a fun show to watch, and it's, it's amazing how many trivia questions that come up with the Bible. But, you know, you got all these verses and historical facts, and but also the history of Christianity and all that kind of stuff. So really interesting. So we'll take a look at that next time. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And Tyrus and I are here to remind you, always think and reform.